Hello and welcome to the show today. We are following up on the previous episode, which was getting into anxiety and depression in this pandemic world. We talked about this overview last time in our last episode about how a lot of people have depression and anxiety, but those kinds of things have morphed and evolved because of this pandemic. And even a lot of people that didn't previously have it are experiencing those kinds of mental health issues or those symptoms. And then people that did have it are experiencing increases in those kinds of things. And today we want to sit down and talk with you about the depression side of things. So today we're going to break down what is classical depression as we've kind of previously understood it for many, many years before this whole pandemic thing. And then we'll talk about, okay, so with the pandemic, how has that shifted our view and understanding of depression? What does that look like from the ground as therapists here? What do we see? How are people describing it? What are the experiences that they're having? Maybe you'll be able to identify those with yourself and maybe feel a little bit more normal about them, um, get some ideas for how to work with them, because we'll also talk about treatment, what treatment looked like with the classical version of depression, and then in a pandemic world, how we've had to be creative with some of our ideas of treating those. So welcome to the show today. Let's talk about classical depression. Nathan, you want to tell us a little bit about what has depression really been like? I know we, you actually read through the DSM version of that on the last episode, but can you summarize that for us and give us an understanding of what that looks like more practically? Yeah, so basically what depression is, and again, we're not going to go over the whole thing, especially because some of you binge listen. <laughs> You're like, no, don't do that. So basically, lethargy, um, hopelessness. Can you tell us what lethargy is? That's knew, a big word. I knew you were going to do some big work. Not for our audience. Just, you know, being not really wanting to move. Your body doesn't really want to move. You're tired, but you're not tired. You don't really take any joy in life at all. People talk to you about like, hey, I'm doing this. And you're in your mind going, I don't care. You know, or maybe you're not even doing that. You don't want to get up. You don't want to go out. Can't sleep very well. Have probably, or you sleep a lot, you know, which I would still call not sleeping very well. But I wanted to add this in. I did a little bit of research, and um, it's actually harder to find some of this information out there than I would have thought. But um, on the CDC's website, back in June of 2020, June, July, they did some research on 5,470 folks. Out of those, 40.9% have experienced a new level of hell. Like, they would all say, like, yep, I got issues, man. I'd like to talk to those 60% of people that were like, no, this whole pandemic is not a new level of hell. Like, I don't know if I've met somebody that would say that about this whole pandemic. I know. Where are those people? You know what those are? Those are always the people that you don't know. Um, <laughs> like always. The unnamed people who don't really exist somewhere, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, that of those, 24.3% identified as depressed. Another interesting information is that um, essential workers, 54% of you guys went in for some kind of mental health related situation and mainly depression and anxiety. And let's see, caregivers, you, you guys are 72.7%. That's, that's depressing. And, and of course, it goes into some other information that we won't get in now, like the, the anxiety um, and that kind of thing. I also did research for that. We're going to do anxiety on the next show. But just wanted to share a little bit about what's kind of going on out there. And we're going to talk a little bit more in a little bit about treatment. Aaron, when you're doing your practice, have you noticed any, um, like as you're working with folks, the difference between how you might have 
been in regards to depression uh, prior to this whole thing and then now? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. I can think of uh, one person in particular. She's really active. You know, it's like she does her homework because she wants to get better. She doesn't like feeling depressed. And it seemed like before this whole pandemic thing, you know, 2019 into the early part of 2020, we were making good strides. Things were getting better. She's got these routines that are going, you know, that are working for her. The pandemic hits and we kind of have to shift some things. And then, you know, lockdowns happen or businesses are closing. And so we're not able to do the things that we would be able to do. And she's coming in and she's sharing these stories about really just like, you know, the helplessness of not being able to do many things. And man, like week after week after week, it gets to a point of, I'm just like feeling bad. I'm like, there's, I mean, I got nothing. There's nothing I could, you're right. Like these are real realities. It's not just in your head or it's not just, oh, well, maybe you could just, or how about if we try? No, it's like, no, been there, done that. And none of those things can actually work. And so I think a lot of folks, she's, you know, she's very symbolic. I think of a lot of folks that are coming in that are saying there really just is not a whole lot I actually can do. And that is really depressing. And at a certain point, I just had to join with her and just kind of be emotional with her and be like, yeah, this really sucks. And just to share in that experience, I think was um, really meaningful, probably for both of us, actually. Um, It wasn't untrue for me at all. But I think more than anything, it helped her understand and experience that everybody is feeling this way. And there really isn't anything that anybody can do, but at least I'm not alone in it. So as frustrating as that probably sounds to hear, if you're listening, you know, it'd be great to have like magic bullets or, you know, a three-step plan to manage or cure your depression. At a certain point with this pandemic, we just kind of have to realize it is what it is. We're in it for the long haul. And, you know, I'm a runner. I've done several half marathons and There's a point at which you just got to keep running. You want to quit, but you're just like, even if I have to slow down or whatever, or walk a little bit, you just got to keep going. It's not the greatest thing to hear, but um, we'll get into some other creative ideas here. But that would be, I think, the difference that I've seen in my practice. Okay. Yeah. And I mentioned last time for myself, what kind of stuck out to me was all of a sudden this introversion, extroversion thing. Um, I was noticing there just seemed to be a huge difference in how people were responding. And this gets us into, and just as a, rem- a reminder, by the way, introversion, getting rejuvenated by being alone, extroversion, getting rejuvenated by being with others. So well, I want to get into a little bit about the kind of the experiences that people are having in a bit more of a detail. For example, classical depression has got the hopelessness and helpless thing. And the thing about that with the classics before this whole COVID deal is that you would have this hopelessness and helplessness for obviously, at least to the observer on the outside, no reason. And you might even tell us like, well, I don't know. I just don't care. I feel pretty hopeless. Nothing's going to change. I've tried some things. It doesn't work. And, and then therein lies the helplessness that nothing that you do seems to do anything. Now, um, you really are um, helpless to a large extent. And so you feel it, but you can look at it and go, yeah, um, I really can't do anything. And so what do we do? We focus on what we can do. Like, well, I can mask up and I can go outside, you know, or I can do X, Y, Z, but that doesn't seem, you know, to just add into this, um, part of this thing that's happened in the pandemic is public shaming. 
So on the top of it, there never seems to be, there's always somebody out there that is going to have an issue with something that you possibly are doing one way or another, which you're mindful of. And that also makes you depressed because then you feel guilty because you're not trying to hurt anybody. And so taking another piece of this is taking no pleasure, right? So you, you, you can't find pleasure in anything. Well, when you're in your house, pretty much all the time gets boring. Yeah. And when you try to think about going out, you know, like, okay, what can we do? I mean, so many people have had the same kind of reaction, like, okay, we just want to get out or it's somebody's birthday or we just want to do something different. Can we see a movie? Nope. Those are closed. Can we go to a restaurant? Well, around here in Oregon, it's been winter. And so it's been freezing cold. Like that's not really fun. Or they haven't been open. It's just takeout only. Or like, you know, what can you do that doesn't involve lots of people? Maybe I remember um, trying to go to, I don't know, some like, like activity center and they were like booked out for like many days. So it's like, you have to schedule your fun, you know, like, okay, in two weeks on Wednesday, I'm going to have fun for like the first time in a month. Um, Like those things can be challenging. And even then, you know, the lines and the waits can be really long. And then again, there's lots of people that are around. And so that's an issue for you, then you're fearful about being around people or somebody not socially distancing. So just realistically in the world, doing things that are fun are either canceled, closed down, or kind of the fun has been stripped away from them. Right. Which, which honestly gets us into one of the other awesome experiences of depression, weight change. (laughs) I know some of you got the COVID-20 pounds. You know what I'm saying? That's me, baby. Uh, So And one of the reasons besides um, life sucking is you're not doing anything. I mean, sedentary stuff. So before you might go to your, like, think about the amount of steps. We do this Fitbit thing in our house type of thing. The amount of steps that you all of a sudden are not getting. I mean, like you would get out of your car, you would go to work, you would walk around in there, you would talk to people. I know you're, you're drooling right now. And then you would walk to the bathroom, which might be a hundred yards, you know, now you're at your home. And that's what's happening. <laughs> like, you're just sitting there. It's like 100 centimeters to get to your bathroom, but <laughs> 100 centimeters to get back to your desk, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and also, in between all of that, um, you know, you have work. And then if you are coming home, going to the grocery store or just running errands on the weekend or just any, anything like that, you'd be out walking around more. I think even just like going to coffee shops, that was something that I love to do and, you know, bring my laptop and do some work there, listen to music or whatever, or, um, even just pull up like at a Barnes and Noble, you know, walk around, read some books, like just places that either were open, fun to walk and shop a little bit. They're just closed. They're not open or it's limited or it's just not the same. You have to wear a mask. Um, and personally, I don't like wearing them. It kind of makes me feel a little suffocated. I don't know how many of you other people feel that way too, but it's just not the same, you know, where it's relaxed and it's enjoyable. You have to do all these things. Again, it's kind of like stripping the fun away from that. Well, yeah. And with the mask, uh, one of the things I don't really feel suffocated to be honest, but I feel very closed off. Like I just feel very cut off from everybody. That's a really good point. Actually, now that you mentioned that, I remember when, when we first were wearing them, uh, having the experience of looking at other people and a cu- I had a couple of reactions. One was feeling really confused, like my eyes were like darting around a lot because I was looking for somebody to connect with. All I could see were eyes and 
I didn't know what your expression was. I didn't really, I couldn't even really see the rest of your face, especially if it was cold out and you had a hat on or whatever. It's like, I, I don't know what your expression is. Are you looking at me sizing me up? Or are you looking at me wanting to connect as well? I don't know. And then the other thing was, um, so my eyes were darting around. And then the other thing was, I also found myself looking away after that because I didn't know who I could connect with. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll just keep to myself and not look at anyone. And then I felt even more closed off or disconnected from people. Yeah, my wife actually had a situation. So our oldest daughter had to go to the oral surgeon for wisdom teeth. And we did, there was a bunch that we were trying to understand. And, you know, that everybody's, of course, masked up. And my wife was, was really struggling, actually, talking to this surgeon because she couldn't understand. It was, like, highly detailed. You're sitting there needing to understand this for your kid. And you're trying to ask these questions and you can't quite make out what this person's, what the surgeon's trying to say, can't read their mannerisms like you normally would. You know, if you drop into a foreign country, you can get around just with nonverbal communication. But if you take away uh, what looks to be maybe 90% of that and where you've only got eyes and no face, um, this stuff has been difficult and, and it does lead to all this depression experience we've been having. Yeah, I thought I had a challenging time just being at Costco and not being able to understand the the person, you know, telling me how much I owed and like, oh, what what was that? Oh, I forgot to show you my card or do I want a bag with that? It's like I those simple things just make me I mean, I know I'm kind of making light of it, but they make me feel crazy. Really, it's like I can't understand you. Is it something wrong with me that I can't understand or I'm just getting frustrated with you and it's not really your fault? because you've got a mask on and then there's distance and then there's like a plexiglass thing. And so like all of the sound waves are being blocked. Like maybe we should all be masking up and megaphoning up as well. <laughs> so I can, you know, hear what you're actually saying. <laughs> yeah. It's been difficult, obviously, which is why we're, we're talking about this. But one of the other uh, things down the, down the pipe here that we have written down is sleep. That's part of what's in classical depression. And the difference now is, you know, the pandemic has created kind of the perfect environment for you to be depressed and anxious. It's like literally went, here you go. Now this is what you're going to have happen. You are trapped. You know, people with depression feel like they're getting trapped. You with sleep, you have, you, know, you could think of it like, well, there's not really a reason to get up. You're not going to get up and get ready to go to work. You know, some of you, you're like, well, I have a Zoom call today, so I have to get my face ready but you're sitting there in your underwear, you know, <laughs> whatever, because you don't have to get dressed. <laughs> I'm always in my underwear. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if some of you are, I, maybe you, Nathan, are like, I'm not in my underwear sometimes. <laughs> I'm talking about more like that's it. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing about sleep too, is that when I'm an athletic person, I like to exercise and be really active and there's all kinds of things that I do that actually helps me sleep and that helps a lot of people sleep. So in a normal environment, you could get out and you can do things, you know, whether it's walking or biking or whatever, you're, you know, doing some sort of a workout. You can do those things and then and even going to work and then coming home. And at the end of the day, your body really, not just your mind. I mean, your mind is part of it because your mind has been able to channel some of the emotions or thoughts or whatever you have that's been pent up out into your exercise through your body. And so your body actually physically feels tired. And then that cues your mind to be like, oh, we're ready for sleep. But when you've been sitting around all day and 
on Zoom calls, your body doesn't feel that way. And when it comes time to sleep, your body's like, no, this is kind of more of the same. <laughs> and and your body might even be saying, we don't really want to go to sleep because we know what that means waking up tomorrow. It's this same thing again and again and again. So I think that's another issue of this whole sleep thing. And I just would add to kind of along those lines of this feeling of feeling trapped. That's, I think, new or unique to the pandemic depression. In a normal world, you actually could go out and do lots of things um, to treat depression. And in fact, those are, you know, we'll kind of transition here in terms of what is treatment for classical depression versus um, pandemic depression is getting out in the world, being around people. Well, when you can't do those things, it adds this other component of feeling trapped. It's not just helpless or hopeless, but it's actually feeling stuck and trapped that, you know, maybe adds a layer of anxiety and panic to it. So as we shift here and talk more about treatment, um, Nate, can you just give us a brief overview of um, what are some of the basic elements of treatment for classical depression? And then we'll get into some creative things for this pandemic depression. Yeah, so basic, basic elements are medication, exercise, healthy diet, and then managing your sleep. Those are kind of the things that us as clinicians kind of run through. I mean, I'll tell my newer interns and that kind of thing coming in that if you're going to diagnose depression, then you're, you're going to need to refer to, to a doctor at some point because there needs to be some, they, the doctor needs to look at what's going on from a physiological standpoint of medications appropriate. And we have to make sure clinically we basically check that box. What we know in the classical depression is that um, of the people taking antidepressants, 70% of them would not have to take antidepressants if they did healthy exercise and manage their diet correctly. The reality is, is that those 70% won't. They just won't. And the other piece of that pie is that also means there's 30% that that diet and exercise program is not going to help. Um, and they do need medication help. So you add on top of this, this pandemic situation, and the folks, maybe you are out there, maybe Maybe you probably are more of a depressed person, but with work and regular activities, you're able to stay above the threshold. You're kind of like, you know, you're all right. And, um, and then you run into this and you're part of the, I believe, I don't have the, I have the research in front of me, but there's a lot of numbers here. I believe if I remember right in my reading, it was like 13% um, had no exposure, no issues before ever. And we're then saying, well, I'm depressed now. Um, got this situation going now. And it was de defined that way. So getting in um, basically to just kind of the overview, exercise, you need to move your body. And you need to move your body to the point where you're breathing hard. Healthy diet, like, you know, we're clinicians. We don't know about, I mean, everybody knows to some extent what the generalities for healthy diet are. I just as a my own experience, you know, you, you grow up, I played soccer my whole life and I could get away with eating anything at, like as a teenager, because I, like I was running realistically, I figured it out one time I'm, I was running about probably about 15 miles a week. And then also I was younger, right. Burning all those calories. And sometimes we burn more like 20, 25 miles a week because of how much soccer practice that we did. And I get up to be in my 20s and all of a sudden I'm not running as much. And I remember immediately gaining weight over the course of a few months and realizing, and it was a weird realization that I don't know how to eat. That might sound weird, but I've never actually given a crap about like at that point, like what to do. And, and that may be you out there that you need to figure out like, whoa, 
I may need to adjust my diet based on my activity. And you may know that, and you may also, honestly, with the depression piece, not care. And I'm telling you that if you start to care, it will make a difference. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think there's a piece also where these variables become so complicated because as you're saying that, you know, managing my diet, I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to eat better, I'm going to manage my portion sizes, maybe I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat as many sweets or as many carbs. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I'm depressed. And like, there's nothing else that's fun. At least I can have this food that, you know, that feels good. So I'm, I'm doing some comfort eating. So what you're telling me is I have to eat better and you're going to take away my comfort from eating as well. And yeah, that's a little bit, that's part of it. Um, that's part of the challenge that you'd have to work through and, to, and maybe even to talk with somebody about. Because the reality is you might feel good for a moment, but your body is actually not doing good. It's not doing well. And so you might not feel good in the moment eating better or managing your portion sizes or whatever, but in the long run, it's going to be good for your body. And that body is going to give you the right kind of endorphins um, for you to feel. And in the long run, you're going to be healthier, which is going to boost your mood and all that kind of stuff. For the long run, you know, it's better for you to, to manage that, that diet piece. Yeah, the other piece of that with the diet, just to put, speak into this a little bit, what you were saying, Aaron, about that kind of immediate gratification that you can experience with food. It's about 20 minutes or so that you start, you know, and at first you might feel good and you're excited that you're doing it. And then the 20 minutes comes on, you're like, that might not have been a great idea, but you still feel, you know, then you feel guilty and may, maybe, or maybe you feel good. Uh, I might, my, I don't know, encouragement, I guess, to you. Of the, of the things we've been talking about him between exercise and diet, when you switch over to a healthy diet, it's going to take, quite frankly, probably a month before you're going to like, be like, good job, you. Good job, me. You know, like <laughs> yourself in the mirror. We can kind of notice differences. And with, with exercise, though, after about an hour after your exercise, you'll feel better. Like it, those endorphins kick in and you'll feel it. So it's a little bit closer to immediate gratification, but it's still delayed. Yeah. And with the exercise piece as well, um, I, I can't remember if it came, there was a book that I had read maybe about habits. Um, I, I just wrote about this actually for my blog. Um, I'll see if I can find it and put the link up in the show notes. Um, it might've, might've been a, Atomic Habits or The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I can't remember which one it was, but the idea was that when you're exercising, when you just start exercising, it doesn't feel good right away. It's hard to do because your body isn't used to doing that. And it takes a while of those repetitions of exercising and then experiencing that, that feeling on the other side of it for you to actually begin to anticipate that feeling. And that's what makes the whole routine or the the habit of exercise so powerful and what makes it stick is you have to do it enough times, which means it's not going to feel good. It's going to be, you know, painful for a while, or you're not going to want to get up and do it. But when you do it and then you get that, that reward, that good feeling on the other side of it, when you do that enough times, you begin to anticipate that good feeling. And that's when you begin to say, oh, I like exercise. Of course, it has to be the right thing, you know, because if somebody were to tell me like, I don't know, do that with swimming or whatever. I like swimming, but not that much. Like, I'm probably never going to feel that way about swimming. So you probably just have to pick the thing that works for you. Yeah, so let's get in a bit to medication. Um, obviously, neither one of us are prescribers, so we're not talking about it from that perspective. We're talking about it 
from the perspective of just what we see, we've been doing this a while, you get used to people having different responses on different meds and lots of conversations with psychiatrists to try to understand what we should be doing. Um, so with medication, uh, typically there, there's these things called SSRIs and the, it just stands for selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Those basically go in and they somehow give you more serotonin. Uh, serotonin's the thing that basically helps you feel better. It's the hormone involved in pleasure. And check this out for you food guys out there. You have more serotonin receptors in your stomach than you do in your brain, which is why you like to eat, because it gives you pleasure. Um, but that's also why we have to manage the diet the right way. So there's another tiny flavor of medication out there, meaning that there's just not as many of them, called seroton selective serotonin and norepinephrine um, reuptake inhibitors. Norepinephrine's that thing that, like, well, you think epinephrine, like giving a shot or whatever, it's that kind of speed hormone, you know, that pumps you like, woo, you know, type of thing. And for some people, that those seem to be more helpful. What I have noticed is that from a side effect standpoint, if people have a lot more difficulty seemingly getting back off the SNRIs than they do the SSRIs in general. I'm not sure why that is. But if that type of medication helps you, which would an example of the SNRI would be like Effexor or Paxil, um, they seem to be really helpful to the people that they help and the people that they don't are kind of like mediocre, really don't do anything. So if, if, those, if you're on those and they're mediocre, I honestly would encourage you to talk to your doctor and see if maybe something else would be, because you should notice from what I've seen in my experience, an actual difference. Then there's another medication that they'll put out there um, with some of this called Wellbutrin, which doesn't really fit as an antidepressant. Um, it is what's called a dopamine agonist. So basically, it helps your system that kind of keeps your attention and keeps you alert. It kind of pumps that up a little bit. And so it also, a fun fact, it's really the only medication that the military will allow people to be on coming in. And the reason why is because a long time ago when it was first used, it was used to help people to stop smoking. So it's kind of a weird one. And also people like that one because it doesn't it's not really involved in weight gain at all where those other ones are. But that's kind of the, a, a big high level view of that whole thing. Yeah. And as clinicians, uh, we, I think Nathan and I both kind of take the same approach. That is, we don't jump to medication as a, as a first thing. Uh, I know that there are some people where you were saying like chemically or genetically, that's where you're at. You've got a predisposition and, you know, medication is just what you need. Um, it's nothing wrong with you, nothing you did wrong. It just is, you know, it's like somebody who's being diabetic. You just, you have to take the medication in order to survive and function. And then there are other folks where uh, this is just something that's a helpful tool along the way. A tool that helps you to cope with whatever's going on right now to get through, uh, maybe to develop some coping skills or some other skills. And really, frankly, right now, it's kind of like the sort of thing where maybe you take some medication right now until things start opening up, and then you can talk to your doctor about going off of them because this is like a situational depression, but it's not just minor. Like you said on the last episode, this has been going on for a year. And so this is like beyond an adjustment disorder. This is a massive lifestyle change that all of us have had to endure that's affected all of society and all of our relationships. And so that's having a tremendous effect on our physiology, our mental health. So going on a medication, if you're really struggling, can actually be the kind of thing maybe that saves you. 
that that helps you continue functioning and hold on longer until we get to a point where things can open up and we can start being around people. One thing about medication, though, to keep in mind is that if you are if you decide to get on it or if you're already on it, you're looking at a year. You're not going to get off that med for a year um, at least. So because if not, there's no point in taking it. It takes your body too long to adjust. I know we wanted to talk a little bit about some new ideas for treatment. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So um, we're going to get into some treatment options that we've uh, discovered and we've talked with people about. This is kind of through some trial and error, I guess you could say, in terms of like what's worked, what hasn't worked. It's sort of like we've pitched things to people and they're like, no, that doesn't work for this reason. Um, so let's try this other thing um, through just a lot of trial and error in people's actual lives. So one of the first things that I would say, and this is going to sound crazy, we don't want any of your, your feedback about this one, is try to be around people if you can. I know it's a pandemic and social distancing and, you know, stay out of like big groups and all that kind of stuff. So use all of your common sense, follow all the rules, all that kind of stuff you know, wear masks or whatever you need to do in order to be safe. But the point is to be around people. If you need to go somewhere, like travel um, farther away to be around some people, or if you need to go to a public place where there's a group or to get together with a couple of friends outside at a park or, you know, if a restaurant is open, something like that. The point is just be around people. Being in public is known to help with depression in general. And then especially in this pandemic where we're already isolated, focusing on being around people consistently gets you out of yourself, gets you out of that funk, and it helps you to sort of like, I guess, connect in sort of the normal human way that we function and need in order to kind of feel okay and not depressed anymore. Yeah, we're not, it's not okay for us to be alone. Like literally some of the factors when it comes to depression is actually being alone and then you get depressed and then you make yourself more alone. And simply from a disease uh, factor, you're talking about, yes, the pandemic, COVID's a thing, but there's a point at which you're picking your poison, essentially, because depression is real. Where this goes, this, there's a reason why suicide has gone up. You, you have to, at some point, take some charge and put yourself in a situation with folks that's safe, but, but sometimes it's worth taking a little bit of risk there, because some of you guys are like, no, I'm going to avoid it at all costs, and I'm just encouraging you to say, well... Right now, where's that getting you? Like at some point you have to, you know, start moving. Right. I mean, there's like a, you know, at a certain point, the risks of being by yourself and being safe from COVID actually expose you greater to the risk of depression, self-harm, that kind of stuff that can be more long term versus going out and being around people. The risk of exposure to COVID um, might be lower uh, than the benefits of the just being around people and being connected and not so isolated anymore. So um, be around people if you can as much as possible. Secondly, move and get some fresh air. Uh, this is kind of a you know age old get out of your house, walk around the block. Um, if you are not a walker, become a walker. <laughs> if you need to go buy a walker, buy a walker to become a walker. When you like to be a walker too, <laughs> <laughs> join the walking club. Um, there's lots of videos on how to fast walk. Also, if you want to add that to your repertoire, but just getting some fresh air for your body, you know, breathing that in, breathing deeply helps to change those internal rhythms. Um, and moving your body releases chemicals that help you to feel better. Yeah. And part of, you know, moving your body is working out. So a lot of you are like, wanted to vomit in your mouth just now for different reasons, maybe, but you can go to local stores like 
Target or Walmart or whatever is your flavor and find um, videos like DVDs in the workout section. Nathan, also, there are, there's this thing called the internet. People can also stream and download them as well. But there are also DVDs as well as CDs. I have, I have, oh my word, you in the CD-ROM, Aaron, you get, you know, um, I have a two-parter with that because I, if I can get the people to go to a store to get it, it's a little bit better than Amazon, to be honest. Good point. So, and these things are cheap. They were like nine bucks, 14 bucks. And they'll have a compilation of workouts on them that are like 10 minutes long each. And if you can just quite frankly, suffer through that 10 minutes and do the best you can, you're going to get a one to two hour bump after that. That's going to feel like, heck yeah. And you might even get, if you keep doing it a little more in shape. So, um, that's kind of the thing with workouts. And also, of course you can do workouts outside, but, um, along with that, we were talking about music too, Aaron, you want to speak to that? Yeah. Let me just, you know, about the streaming part, there are a ton of apps that have come out with, um, little, you know, free workouts or, you know, two $5 workouts that you can, you can stream yourself. Those are great. You don't even have to have tons of equipment. You can do a lot of just body weight stuff, um, plyometrics, um, just stuff that gets you moving your body, using your own weight, your own resistance to, you know, whether it's work yourself out or just move yourself so that you're getting your heart rate up a little bit. Um, Can't say that enough, you know, especially in this pandemic where a lot of gyms might be closed or open certain times or only so many people can be in there. This is a great option for doing something inside your house. Um, As far as music goes, yeah, you know, it's a mood booster. It's a mood changer. I'm especially uh, susceptible, you could say, maybe to music. Like if I'm feeling a certain way, I can flip on a movie or a mu- certain kind of music and my mood can shift that way. Uh, and I think a lot of people are that way as well. So if you're feeling kind of low energy or depressed or whatever you're feeling, just, you know, isolated or whatever, putting on some music that can boost your mood. Um, it's got a certain tempo, you know, certain beats per minute. Um, I don't know what the number is, but it's probably, you know, it's higher than what you would normally expect. So something that's somewhat upbeat, it doesn't have to be like heavy metal or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That might actually, it might actually give you a headache. (laughs) You can tell I'm not a huge fan. Uh, But those of you that love your heavy metal, go for it. If that gets you out of your your depression, do it. Um, But I know for me, one thing that I'll do is I'll put on some classical music. And we're not talking about like your, you know, Debussy, your romantic, slow flute playing, uh, which is great for studying or just relaxing with a glass of wine at home. Um, it's more of getting your upbeat, like Mozart, stuff that's got some energy to it, um, that's kind of more complicated or sophisticated, if you will. That kind of stuff like activates a lot of things in your brain and helps you just feel a little bit different than what you were before. And that's the point. We're just trying to get you give you lots of different ideas to help change your brain, change your body, change your hormones, your chemicals so that you feel differently. Yeah. And part of that music is put it on it, put it on at home in the background. If you're not normally a person who does much music while you like go on a walk or whatever, I don't, to be honest. Um, I don't do that pretty much at all. I'm kind of just in my own head working stuff out, but for a person like myself, I'd say, you know what, you probably should add music. Um, cause it's about changing the environment because it'll stimulate different areas of the brain. And there is lots of research on classical music. Um, But, you know, the other thing, too, moving to maybe another idea besides with music, 
is we've had these frustrations in the pandemic at this point that you, that, you know, like wearing a mask or you can't go X, Y, Z. You can't do blah, blah, blah. You wish you could go to this one uh, restaurant that you like, and they've totally shut down. They are totally gone. Maybe they've, maybe they're done and they're not going to return. Talk about that stuff. You know, you've got to the point now where what happens is you start to mention it. Everybody's in the same situation and they go, you go, well, you know, well, you know, the whole night I hate masks. And then you know that everybody kind of has that same thing. So you basically edit yourself and you be quiet. Well, Every once in a while, talk about it. Go all the way there. You know, like mention, you got to get that out of you because it's something that you're holding inside. And as you process it and get it out, it'll actually be out because there's a reason why you're having those, those thoughts and those things keep coming back to you. Yeah. And one last idea here um, would be to play some games with your friends online. Um, this is something that a couple of people told me about. My kids have done this thing that's called... Oh boy, I can't remember the name of it. I'll tell you the name of the other one that clients told me about. It's called, I think it's Jukebox or Jakebox, something like that, where you sign up for this thing. I think it was like 20 or 30 bucks and only one person in your party has to sign up for it. And then you can share it with a bunch of people with a group. And um, this other thing that my kids do, it's like this trivia thing where you can make a trivia and then give people the code and then you can like share your screen and do this like virtual game where it's either trivia or guess the answer to this or share your ideas about something and somebody has to guess the funniest one or who said it or I don't know, just all kinds of crazy things that are all virtual. Like these game makers have made ways for people to connect virtually through technology, you know, video and all that kind of stuff um, through your TV. Make use of that. Um, I've heard some great experiences with people that have had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. You know, the other thing that comes to mind is I have a, a client that was telling me about, I think, a sling box, I think. And um, I know we have to close up here, but we're just running with some ideas here. You can actually watch a movie with a family member or friend, and apparently, I guess you can see them. It really feels like you are watching that movie with them. Um, my wife also does um, quite a bit of stuff with Fitbit. She gets online, and they, they do challenges every single week with how many steps that they get. So people are back and forth, and you can, like, taunt people and stuff. Like, but then you're pretty motivated. You're like, oh, crap, this person just passed me. She'll, like, get up and start walking around the house because somebody's passed her. Anyways, it's kind of fun. And on that, we will be talking about anxiety next time. <laughs> so we can cure your depression with the Fitbit, and then we'll treat the anxiety later. <laughs> yeah, and there's issues with everything, right? I mean, the bottom line is you got to kind of find something that fits. But you're going to need to step outside the box, and you're going to need to take a step if you're suffering from depression. You have to do something. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you have a great day. Thanks, guys. See you next time.